everybody, and welcome back to the Grow With Tim podcast. I hope you had a really wonderful Christmas and uh, enjoyed spending extra time with family and friends. And if you're a Christian like I am, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, no matter what your faith or your background is, I hope you're making the most of this holiday season. It's a wonderful time of year. Hey, today we're going to jump back into part two of the Success in South Carolina podcast that we started last week. So if you haven't heard that conversation with Jonathan Peoples and me, go back and pick up part one. It'll make part two make more sense. We had an interesting conversation about fractional executive roles and how to get more stuff done in less time. We talked about how it's really important to prepare for opportunity before you have it and a host of other interesting topics. So I hope you'll go check it out. But now, without further ado, let's jump into part two of that conversation with my friend Jonathan Peoples, Success in South Carolina. So we, we mentioned earlier about how success is not always an uphill journey. It's sometimes a windy road. Sometimes you're going down in the valley. Would you share with our listeners one of the challenges that you've that you've come across throughout your journey and how you overcame it? Mm. One of the challenges. It's more fun to talk about successes than challenges. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, oh boy, lots of challenges. I mean, I remember early on when I, I can still tell you about every single person that's ever quit, right, or like that worked for me that resigned or took a different position or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a little bit easier now. It's happened, you know, I've been in business for 25 or 30 years. Certainly yeah. it's happened a few times at this point. But I think early on, I can remember a really key person that that resigned and took a different position, got a huge pay raise. Like, yeah. I, I don't blame him for a minute. It was yeah. good for him, good for his family. But I remember agonizing because it felt like number one, I'd failed him. Like I hadn't given him a good opportunity to grow and thrive and succeed. Number two, I was not at all sure how I was like, this was a critical role and how am I going to recover and how am I going to replace him when I don't have the budget to get who I really want and all of that, all kinds of challenges and what business owner hasn't there too, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think figuring out how to get number one, how to do a better job of retaining people. So that was one takeaway from that. Uh, number two was how to document things better and systematize so that you aren't so the whole process dependent. Is in that one guy's head. Um, yeah, exactly. Number three, how to get better at recruiting so that I can fill that position quickly and, and have some certainty that, okay, I, I don't have to panic because in the next two weeks, I, I know that I can, or next three or four weeks, I can probably find somebody to replace that person. I don't know th- that, some of the most poignant memories I have are from early on when yeah. a really key person would resign and it, it didn't happen often. It wasn't like I had a turnover problem, but it certainly had happened and it was almost always over money and it was always really super disruptive. Yeah. And, um, so how do you, you said that you learned how to retain people better. What are a couple of tips you've learned? I think that retention is, a, is involves a whole bunch of stuff. One is people have to, have to feel like they're part of an organization that's going somewhere. So there has to be a vision that is bigger than any one person. Mm. And that vision has to be made clear so that it's not just in the owner's head, but everybody knows that, okay, we're sailing toward that island and here's my role to play to help us get there. Um, there has to be a sense of engagement, like what my work is, like my work matters and it's valuable, not just for making a paycheck, but it's valuable. I'm actually making a difference to people. And then there has to be the, the cultural component of 
like this is a, a positive, fun, enjoyable place to work with right. good people and good teamwork and good communication. And I actually want to come to work because I'm, I'm working in my areas of strength and not in my areas of weakness. And my boss is giving me opportunities to learn and sometimes fail. And I don't get chewed out every time I fail, but I get applauded for trying something. So there's, there's sort of creating a culture of safety and uh, positivity there's helping people grow, not just with promotions and pay raises, though that's some of it, but also developing their skills and their leadership and giving them opportunity. Uh, and then having that shared sense of purpose that leads to employee engagement. Those are some of the obvious things. I think developing people, investing in them as people and professionals, all that is part of it. That it goes I think, hand in hand with even recruiting too. Yeah, because you can sell a lot of those things. Like here's how we invest in our people. Here are opportunities for, to develop your leadership skills. Here's how, and frankly, nowadays, they're probably going to find on social media, other people that work for you. And they're going to ask, they're going to say, what's it like to work at that company? Yeah. So you got to have your, you know, your walk that matches your talk. Right, right. Your billboard can look all great, but as soon as they talk to the first person that works at your company, they're going to tell them the truth. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And that's something I recommend for people as they're, is they're going to join a company that don't just talk to the, the empl- person interviewing you that's right. or the CEO. Anybody can tell a good story. Yeah. Even if, even if they're not uh, a super close connection, you can shoot somebody a LinkedIn or a Facebook message and say, Hey, what do you think about working there? Right. And they'll probably give you the truth. Yep. Right. Cause they're probably out there putting out uh, applications at other places ready to flee that ship. Maybe. Yep. Yep. And conversely, like if you're in the hiring position, you want to reach out to references and find out because anybody can tell a story in either direction. Right. Exactly. Yeah. References are important. So it's so funny how many people hire without, reaching out to references. Yeah. 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 It's astonishing. I don't know why it's like, it's not that hard to pick up a phone and make a phone call yeah. and just say, would you hire this person again? You know? Yeah. It comes down to a little bit of laziness, I guess. So I listened to one of your recent podcasts about leadership and you seem very, very passionate about building leaders. Yeah. Why is that? I think leadership. So there are a lot of different philosophies around how to grow a company and even, even motivate, not just philosophies, but motivations. But for me, I've never wanted it to be like Tim Joyner and Associates. I don't want to be the genius with a thousand helpers. I love to to coordinate, maybe even quarterback a team of experts. But I want people that are smarter and better and more talented and capable than, than I am that are doing all their areas of expertise. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. And I also don't want to have responsibility for everybody. Okay, you do this, you do that, you do this other thing. Because I can never take a vacation. I can never really enjoy the success that I'm trying to build, right? So I think in order to have a thriving company where it isn't wholly dependent on me, I've got to have people who exercise leadership at all levels of the organization. Even at the lowest level of the organization, the person that sits at the front desk has to exercise some degree of self-leadership. And so I want to make sure that I create an environment where leadership is expected and rewarded. Right. And if I assemble a team of people that, that develop their leadership, then it's not all about me and I can actually take a six week vacation to Europe and, you know, the trains still run on time. And that, that's a, you know, that, that's sort of the self-serving part, but I also want to invest. Like I think people are more fulfilled and they're happier. They're more satisfied if they actually have opportunities to grow and growth usually means increasing levels of responsibility and leadership. So, so yeah, I'm pretty motivated to make sure that all my people either, whether in title or practice, either one, they're increasingly exercising leadership. I think that most people want to have ownership or control of what they're doing anyway. Yeah. 
they feel most satisfied, like you said, when they feel like they do own that role. Even if they're just the receptionist, they own that role. That's right. Yep. Most people don't want to be just a cog in a machine, right? Right. Right. So empowering them. And you mentioned on that podcast, even if they make a mistake, well, hey, you know what? You took risks and made mistakes. If they went out on their, if they went out and, and took a risk, you need to reward them for that. Right. Sure. Maybe you correct it. Maybe you help them learn the lesson. Yep. But rewarding it instead of punishing them for something that you made a lot of mistakes on your, on your journey too. Yeah. I tell everybody that works for me, I want to create a bias for decision-making mm-hmm. at the lowest level of the organization possible. I never want to be a bottleneck where like, oh, we're waiting on Tim to make that decision. Like I want to push the decision to the lowest level possible because that's where the most information is. Like the front lines actually know what the customers are saying and what they care about and what they're frustrated about and what the opportunities are. So I want those decisions to be at the lowest level possible. And I tell people all the time, I want you to to evaluate every decision against three criteria. Number one, do you have enough information to make this decision? So if you're making a big decision and you've only considered one option and it's going to cost you $20,000 and no, you don't have enough information, right? Right. Um, now, if it's a $5 decision, you probably just make the decision, right? right? Okay. But do you have enough information? Number one. Um, number two is, is the risk acceptably low? So again, we can put it in a dollar amount, right? Depending on your level of seniority in the organization, a $5,000 de- decision is different than a $500 decision or whatever. So is the risk acceptably low? If I'm signing a 12-month contract, that's different than a month-to-month contract or whatever. Number three is, do I feel reasonably confident about this decision? If the answer to all of those is true, right, I, um, I have enough information, risk is low, and I feel reasonably confident, then make the decision right. at the lowest level. And here's my promise to you. I will never chastise you or get you in trouble for making this, even if it's a bad decision. Right. We'll talk about how to make a better decision next time, but I'm going to applaud you for making the decision, even though it turned out to be costly or, you know, it was a screw up. I'm still going to reward you for making the decision. And then we'll talk about how to make a better decision. And, and that I think is one of the easiest ways I've encouraged people to make decisions and take on increasing levels of leadership is just by giving them that permission and not just permission, but like impetus, like do this mandate. I feel like a lot of leaders or CEOs of organizations thrive on control, right? They want to control everything that's going on. Whereas the leadership you're talking about, control isn't necessarily what you're chasing. It's freedom that you're chasing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to empower other people to make good decisions. I want to teach them how to make good decisions and take responsibility. Um, I I want to delegate outcomes, not activities. Mm. So I don't want to say, okay, Johnny, do this. Okay, Sue, do that. Okay, Bob, do this. Um, I want to say, here's the outcome that I want. Go exercise your unique ability, your skills, your your creativity, your networks, your knowledge. Figure out the best way to get to that outcome that we want and and go have fun doing it, yeah. right? And then report back when we get to that outcome. Right. As opposed to do this task, do this activity, do that. Because I, then I've got to follow up on them and I've got to do all the heavy lifting and the thinking and figure out how to solve all these problems. Like if I want to do all that, I'd just be self-employed and be a one-man show. Like, right. you know, so yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it. I'm, I'm more interested in freedom and empowering other people than I am in control or micromanagement. Yeah. And we spoke earlier about the issues with success nowadays, because there's so much fake success on social media. Right. And you mentioned, I love the phrase that there's an inverse relationship between skill and wisdom. Yeah. Speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I've just noticed that there are a lot of gray hairs out there 
literally or metaphorically, that have a lot of wisdom. They've got life experience. They've actually done really impressive things. But they tend, as a rule, to not have a lot of facility with social media, right? And so they don't tell, they're not very good at telling their stories. Right. Meanwhile, you have 18-year-olds that have no wisdom (laughs) that are actually saying some really stupid things, Mm. but they've got a follower, a a followership of a million people because they've figured out the skill of amplifying their own brand through TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and whatever. And so often there's an inverse relationship between the skill of self-promotion or or not even self-promotion, but like delivering a message at scale. Mm -hmm. Inverse relationship between that skill and actual wisdom that's worth sharing. Right. Which I think is really unfortunate because you've got all these people that are spouting some kind of foolish things and and they've got all this influence that's not actually worth very much. And meanwhile, there's all this wisdom that's locked up. So that's one of the reasons why uh, my friend Jeremiah Dew and I, with whom we we, uh, recorded a different podcast called Grow With Tim, um, we started a company called Impact Avalanche that basically helps unlock all that wisdom. So for high-octane entrepreneurs and thought leaders, we put them in a studio for 90 minutes a week. We draw out that wisdom, and then our team in the Philippines edits it and captions it and produces it and syndicates it across all these platforms. So it's a done-for-you service to get that valuable wisdom, that message, whatever it is that you have to get out there, we sort of take and do the heavy lifting, hopefully writing that inverse relationship. Right. It's one of the reasons I was very excited about connecting with you because it's the whole reason I started this podcast because I saw so much out there. And I know that there are 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds that are looking to social media, wanting good advice, and they're getting horrible advice. Right. Uh, One of the things that I recommend as far as people combating that, how how do we fight against that is... If someone's successful in an area, take their advice in that area. Right? Yes. So if they're if they've got a hundred thousand or a million followers on LinkedIn or on Facebook or on TikTok, take their advice on how to grow to a million followers. Right. But don't take their advice on how to eat healthy. Yeah. Right. Or relationship advice. Right. 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 Exactly. So uh, what are, what are the thoughts? How how else do we combat that? I don't know. I I mean, there are a lot of people who are not really interested in building a personal brand and that's fine. I respect that. They're like, look, I'm happy. I've achieved a level of success. I don't, I don't necessarily need a lot of influence. That's fine. Um, I think that social media and particularly video, social video is an, I mean, in the history of humanity, we've never had such an opportunity to influence so many people for good so easily, right? If you wanted access to a million people, you had to take out a multi-million dollar Super Bowl ad, right? In in order to reach that kind of people. And now you can set up a camera in your garage and over time with some hard work and some diligent effort and creativity, like you can reach a million people. Yeah, And that's amazing. And so there's a great opportunity, but also a responsibility, I think, to actually have something worth sharing. So what a lot of people have not figured out, the, the, the gray hairs among us have not figured out is how they can not only do good, impact a lot of people, but also benefit financially or in other ways, right? Because you you get all this name recognition and this, this brand recognition. You've got a much larger platform not just to influence people, but to sell whatever product or service you have, right? right? Whether that's consulting or whether that's financial services or whether that's gutter cleaning, it doesn't matter. Like if you're reaching a million people, a very small percentage of those people have to write checks in order for you to be really, you know, fabulously successful. Right. And that's a great segue into this, uh, this question. You are 
involved in so many different companies right now. You've got I'm, a lot I'm of a little ADHD maybe. <laughs> yeah. But that's great. That's that's how I feel like a lot of successful people they've always got multiple streams of income. Yeah. What are you most focused on though? Oh boy, that's a hard question. I don't know if there is a most. So uh, I'll tell you in terms of time, the biggest thing that's consuming my time and attention right now is a software company. We make software for the thrift industry. And so uh, I run operations for them and that probably consumes, depending on the week, you know, maybe as much as uh, half of my time. Wow. So that's probably the single biggest thing. Uh, but I've got a men's shoe company uh, with a partner. So we manufacture shoes in Brazil. We import them to the States and sell them online. Uh, that takes up some of my time. I've got a coaching consulting business called Krishita Strategy Group. I consult mainly with people in the marketing space, people that want to grow their businesses. Sometimes they're actually in a marketing leadership role like a CMO. Sometimes they're an entrepreneur or business owner. And I help them leverage their marketing and advertising to not as an agency would, right? I don't actually do the execution, but I'll coach and consult and help them think differently about their messaging and their channel selection and so on. Yeah. Um, so I do some coaching and consulting. I've got a couple of real estate ventures, mainly in the single family, some multifamily residential real estate business. So yeah. I'm a landlord. And then I've got this impact avalanche that I told you about that I've just started recently where I'm helping entrepreneurs deliver a message at scale. Yeah. There are a couple of other little pieces here and there, but those are kind of the big ones that take so most of my time. So when it comes to not, not from a time perspective, but what are, what's Tim most excited about? Like what takes up your mental space? What are you yeah. mentally thinking about a lot? I'm, honestly, I'm excited about all of them for different reasons. The real estate business is mostly on autopilot. So I've sure. got property managers that do the day-to-day management of all that stuff. And that's a portfolio that I've been building for close to 20 years. And it, it, I'm growing it every year, but it pretty much takes care of itself and just throws off a really nice passive income stream. So that doesn't, it's not, it's very valuable to me, but it's not super exciting. I'm not passionate about it, right? right? Um, the coaching and consulting is really fun. It's very lucrative. I can create a lot of value in a small amount of time and I enjoy that, but it's not something that I am, you know, aggressively trying to grow. I think the software company represents tremendous financial opportunity because we saw, so, I mean, I just love software in general, any kind of software, right. because the marginal cost of delivery, right? If you do it right, the marginal cost of delivering another copy of the software is very low, but the value it creates is very high. And so at a certain point you hit scale and you grow that thing like a hockey stick. So that's super fun to think about the the possibility to influence companies and, and do good with that software is for nonprofits and we're making an impact on the world. So that's really good. Some financial upside there as well. But I think the thing that is most exciting to me right now, probably because it's new is this impact avalanche that I spoke of earlier because in that business, I get to meet all these really high octane, super successful people that yeah. have wisdom to share. And I get like a front row seat and hearing that and helping then amplify that message. And so I'm meeting a lot of interesting people and learning a lot of cool things. So that's, where are you, that's where are you putting out this? Is it on podcast or is it websites or how are you putting so, out this info? Yeah. So it is, like I said, it's brand new. Um, so we're kind of making up the playbook as we go okay, along. Okay. But so, so we couldn't find it. If somebody searched today, they you're not going to find anything on impact avalanche. Well, I don't know. It depends on how long it takes you to produce this podcast. It might yeah. be up by the, there will be a website, but there's not one yet okay. uh, as of this recording date. Um, but it'll be impactavalanche.com once, once it's up. Okay. And um, right now it's basically, I would say by invitation only, like to people that know me and know what I've been up to the past 10 months or so. And they're like, man, I want to do that. Can you help me? Yeah, absolutely. You know, kind of be my guinea pig. And so yeah. we're just, just getting going. But yes, we're producing podcasts. 
we're producing shorts on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And we've seen a lot of success. We've yeah. got channels that uh, have really blown up. You know, we're recording today in one of our studios that we're doing that with. Yeah. And right next door, we've got somebody that uh, has a channel with, I don't know, 120,000 followers or something like that. And they're growing their business, um, double or even triple digit annual growth entirely on the back of social media. Like wow. there is no sales and marketing effort outside of viral video. Yeah. And um, so, so it's, I'm learning a lot of stuff and that's probably the most interesting thing. But if, if that's something that one of your listeners is interested in, uh, email me, Tim at TimJoyner.com or go to uh, TimJoyner.com. You can find links to all my social stuff and right. you can reach out to me, schedule a meeting. But uh, so far I don't have any collateral for that business. Okay. One of the, one of your companies that really intrigued me is polished. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, first of all, what do you guys do? And then second, how did that come to be? It seems like it's of all the different companies, it didn't seem like it, it doesn't is. fit the mold, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Polish. So polish is the men's shoe business and manufacturing shoes in Brazil. So uh, how that came about is I became friends with a guy from Brazil. He owned a string of shoe stores, a, ch a chain of shoe stores in Brazil, and he brought his family to America to give him a better life. Uh, ended up joining the church um, where I worship, and we became friends. We did some real estate deals together. This was back when I was in the agency business, and I was actually in the process of selling several agencies. Uh, it was pretty much a self-managing company, and so I had those leaders we talked about earlier that were in place doing great work and running, you know, the trains were running on time without me. Yeah. And to be honest, I was a little bored. Yeah. Here's this other guy, Nico, who's from Brazil. He's got his shoe stores on autopilot in Brazil. They're running themselves. He's kind of bored. Two bored entrepreneurs, probably not a good, you know, easy yeah. to get in trouble, right? And so we said, we should do something together. Yeah, right? We should do something together. And and I had all of the marketing and branding expertise that he needed. He had all the international business and manufacturing connections and, and expertise that I needed because I yeah. didn't know anything about international business, didn't know anything about manufacturing or shoes. And we said, look, we, we got all the right skills. Let's, let's, uh, let's start a company. So we built this brand from nothing. We uh, went down and toured a bunch of shoe factories and met with designers. And we ended up designing a line of about 30 shoes in that first trip and contracted the manufacturing in Brazil and then learned about the import export process and, and spun up a brand and started selling them online. And that was uh, a year and a half ago, I guess. The store has actually been open for just over a year online. It's at polished.shoes. And, um, it's, it's been a super fun ride. I, when we started it, I said, look, I don't know anything about half of this business, so I'm going to have to learn, but I'm interested in learning all these things. And I could go back and get a second MBA and spend a lot of money on it. I could probably spend the same or less money on actually doing it, have a lot more fun and maybe have something to show for it at the end. Yeah. Plus I get a tax deductible, tax deductible trip to Brazil a couple times a year. So that seemed like a good plan. So that's how it got started. Now, what kind of shoes do you guys sell? So they are all men's shoes and they're, they're, uh, most of them fall into the category we call modern classics. Okay. So it's a, a traditional leather upper, maybe a brogue or a wingtip or an Oxford leather. or something. Yeah, it would be all, it would be like a, a real leather shoe, sheepskin lining, like really nice shoe. But then we'll pair it with, say, a sneaker sole mm -hmm. or we'll put a red stripe through it or we'll put a little accent piece of blue leather on the back or something okay. to modernize it, make it a little bit more interesting. Okay. So it's a really comfortable quality shoe, well-made, in many cases, handmade in Brazil. So not like sweatshop labor and not yeah. a bunch of synthetic materials, but it's, it's not like your grandfather's shoe that looks boring, but it's also not a sneaker. It's a really well-made 
comfortable, classy looking shoe that Couple just has a touch of like flair. A, a Cole Haan or an Echo? Yeah, Cole, Cole Haan and Echo would both be very close competitors in terms of the style and the comfort and the quality level. I would say Cole Haan is probably a little bit more trendy. Um, we'd have a little bit more quality, but gotcha. but yeah, you're in the right ballpark. Okay, nice. Very cool. So one last question. Yeah. Can you explain for our audience what a fractional executive is? <laughs> fractional executive, yeah. So let's say you've got a company that is big enough that you need expertise, you need leadership, you need experience in a, in a given area. So the, the most popular fractional executive role would be a fractional CFO, chief financial officer. You need the kind of cash management and forecasting and accounting oversight and strategic decision-making that a CFO can give you. And you need that strategic insight, but you don't need that person in a seat 50 hours a week. And, and you probably can't afford them because, you know, you've got a company of 30 or 40 or 50 people and you, you right. don't need a full-time CFO, but you need that level of expertise. So you hire a fractional CFO and that fractional CFO comes in and spends maybe an hour a day or two days a week or whatever, depending on your needs. And they charge you less than a full-time, you know, a full-time CFO would, but you get all of their expertise and wisdom, but not all of their time. Right. And then that person does that same role for five or six different people and everybody wins. Right. And so for me, that's been a really fun thing. I've, I've had roles as fractional CFO, CMO, COO for several different companies. And I can come in and leverage experience and leadership in a relatively short amount of time, create a lot of value, help them with hiring and firing and staffing and process management, all that kind of stuff, but not be glued to a seat in their office for 50, uh, 50 hours. And, and it's good for everybody. That shows a lot to your uh, flexibility or your your adaptability, your your growth and your education that you can CMO, CFO, COO. I mean, some some people take their whole life to figure out how to just be a CFO. Yeah, and, and to be fair, the, to all the the real CFOs out there, they're they're probably a lot more sophisticated and talented in many cases than I am. But I've got an MBA and I've got a background in finance and I've I've been there, done that in my own companies enough that I can be pretty valuable in that kind of role. It doesn't mean that, you know, I could come into a fortune 100 company and be their CFO, sure. but I can absolutely create value for mo the kinds of companies that I work with. Um, yeah. At several different levels. Well, it proves just your background and experience because you've been there and done that with all your companies. Right. You had to be the CMO. You had to be the at CFO one point I had to play all the, where all, all of those companies. That's right. And that's great because most com most CEOs of, cause I do a lot of fractional work too, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a CRO or a CMO yeah. work, yeah. uh, mainly within the tech industry yeah. because that tech guy started his company cause he's really good at tech. Yes, exactly. But he doesn't necessarily, he, and he grows his company because he has a good reputation. He does yeah, good. He work. does good work. Right. And maybe he can, he can even hire a few people and grow his company to 20 or 30 employees. Right. But eventually he hits a he ceiling. Hits a ceiling. That's right. Because he doesn't know. And he needs know. you to come in and help him get through that ceiling. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool that, that me and you share a lot of uh, commonalities yeah. in a lot of these different things, Tim. Yeah. I love it. And I, I honestly call it my ADHD-ness or whatever, but like actually doing one role for one company full time, I just get so bored. <laughs> I don't think I can do it. Right. There's um, advantages to ADHD, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I really love that fractional thing. I don't, I, I can't do you know, very many roles at once because i got too many other things going on. But I, I love coming in and creating value at scale in a few hours a week. It's a lot of fun. So you're not a fractional CIO, though? 
I've never done that. No, no, I've never <laughs> done that. Me neither. And most of the companies that I work for are tech companies anyway. They don't need me in that role. Right, right. But, uh, okay, final thoughts. Yeah. What are your favorite books? Oh, man, favorite books. So many. Probably uh, Good to Great. It always comes to mind. I've benefited a lot from that. The level five leader, the getting the right people on the bus and then figuring out what seat to put them in. Some of those concepts from that have been really valuable. Very dry and statistical book. So if yeah. you like that kind of book, if you're if you're not looking for the hype and motivation, yeah, because he doesn't really have much of that in there. No, but there's a lot of data, a lot of so research, much. hard so hitting research. If you like research. data, great yeah, book for you. That's right. So if, if you want something that is more, you know, story driven, driven, that's, that's a lot easier to read, uh, five dysfunctions of a team, I think is helpful. You get a, some insight into how a, a company's executive team ought to work. I think yeah. that's uh, Pat Lencioni's book is pretty good. Death by meeting is another in that same category. Okay. Um, in operations, you think of this as a manufacturing book, but actually it has application in almost any business would be, um, this book, Theory of Constraints, um, is the subtitle, and it's all—it's about a manufacturing plant that that um, is not very efficient, and they're always behind, and they're always not hitting their targets, and their customers are frustrated with them, and whatever. And it's about the transformation of this plant, and it's so good. I'm sure I'll come up with it as soon as we end this podcast. But anyway, that's one. Recently, a book that I've read that has been really thought provoking. Um, maybe more so than just about any book I've read, at least recently, is The Price of Tomorrow. Hmm. The Price of Tomorrow is ostensibly about inflation. And it was written before our current inflationary, you know, off the charts kind of crazy period. But it's written within the last, last couple of years. But the guy who wrote it must have been like a polymath or something because he talks intelligently about artificial intelligence, about game theory, about persuasion, about inflation, about economic theory, all kinds of stuff that he weaves into this book. And he, his argument is that in the eventual future, we're not going to experience inflation. We're going to experience significant deflation. Hmm. And the reason is because everything is getting infused with technology. So our whole economic world order is currently built on the idea, the expectation that prices go up. Every, our whole yeah. our houses go up, land goes up, mm-hmm. melt goes up, everything goes up, Right. But what always goes down is technology. Technology keeps getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because we have more automation and more. So everything, your refrigerator, your transportation, everything is getting infused with technology. And so he's saying in the world of tomorrow, we're actually going to have falling prices and real estate is going to get cheaper because it doesn't matter where you live when you have autonomous vehicles and video conferencing and holographic video conferencing and all this. Like it doesn't matter where you are. So prices have to fall and transportation will fall and commodities will fall, everything will go down and you've got to be ready for that. And if you are ready for that, you'll have incredible economic opportunity because you saw around the corner before the next guy did. Wow. Really thought provoking book. Uh, one last one I'll throw out is the, the power of full engagement it talks about managing, not just time, but managing your energy and your focus, your motivation. Been really helpful for me to get more peak productivity out of myself is the power of full engagement. Lots and lots of books I could talk about, but those are four that come to mind right away. Well, Tim, I appreciate it. You Listeners, you can find him at timjoiner.com. Tim, this has been a pleasure, been a blessing. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks again to my friend Jonathan Peoples for letting me dual post his podcast here on the Grow With Tim podcast. I hope it was a fun and interesting conversation for you as it was for me as well. 
The new year is almost upon us. I hope that you are planning to make it a great year. If you haven't already been intentional about that, you've got a couple of days left. So go back and listen to a podcast from a couple of shows ago. We talked about strategic planning. How do you set yourself up for a great year and align your whole team around the vision for a successful 2023? In the meantime, enjoy the new year. Enjoy extra time with family and friends. And I will see you in January. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's Grow With Tim podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to show us some love by following us here and on our other social media platforms. You'll find all the links at growwithtim.com.